Thursday night was it was great up to a point. I'd, I'd spent the night hanging out with our, our two boys, and, and my wife and I watched a movie, and then she went to bed because she has to fall asleep to Gilmore Girls because she's seen every episode a thousand times, and that relaxes her for some reason. And I'm one of those people I cannot sleep with the TV on, so we kind of have a routine. She goes to bed before I do, watches her episodes of Gilmore Girls. She falls asleep. I come in, turn on death metal. No, I come in, just, just turn, off, turn off the TV, and, and I can fall asleep. Uh, I, don't, I don't need anything, normally, but not on Thursday night. On Thursday night, as I turned off Gilmore Girls, and I crawled into bed, as soon as my head hit the pillow, it was one of those times where you're instantly wide awake. And I know better than to just kind of lay there and toss and turn but I did anyway. And so I I laid there and I tossed and I turned and out of nowhere came flashing back in my mind two and a half years ago. Now, many of you know, uh, two and a half years ago, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And all of the memories, we, we didn't have a checkup or anything. It's not like we received any bad news, not like we'd seen cancer on an episode. This doesn't happen to me often. It was just out of nowhere with no trigger that I can... I can figure out even now, my mind is flooded back to memories of everything that we went through and everything that we endured over that two, when when she was diagnosed two and a half years ago. And then just a a wave of of thoughts and and memories and and ideas came and, and were just plaguing, they were plaguing my mind. And as I sat there and I recollected all that, all that we endured and all that happened to us over the course of that horrible journey, I was reminded that in the midst of things that we wouldn't wish upon our enemy, how God showed up in a really powerful and really cool way. And how in the midst of so much heartache and, and difficulty, God was there. And it was, a, it was a constant reminder to me in my, in my life, in our experiences, in our circumstances, that the thing that I always knew to be true, and the thing that I'd experienced before, but, but never quite fully on that level. And, and I, don't, I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the pain that, that you're fighting. I don't know everything about your situation, but I am I am confident and I am certain that as I stand before you today, the hope that has been true in my life can also be true in your life. And that is in the midst of the worst of the worst that this world has to offer, in the midst when everything is burning down around you and everything is falling apart, in the midst of hard times, God is still there. And he's still at work. And sometimes God works through really hard circumstances. Sometimes God works through difficulty. And sometimes God shows up when things aren't good. And that's what we're going to see today as we continue our look at the early church and the development of the church in the New Testament book of Acts. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us this morning in the Bible app. It's a resource that you can find in whatever app store you utilize. And once it's installed on your device, we use the events feature within the Bible app. You can either enable your locations or type in Lakeside Community Church Algoma, and you can follow along 
with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you, we're in the New Testament book of Acts. That's the fifth book of the New Testament, right after the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Next, come, next comes Acts, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 14 today for joining us via the stream. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here at Lakeside, and the verses will be available for you on the screen below as we continue our journey of the early church where we left off last week at the end of Acts chapter 13 was Paul and Barnabas have just been run out of town. They've just been run out of town because they were proclaiming the hope of Jesus and people responded to that hope and some people responded by giving their lives to God and some people responded by stirring up trouble and chasing, chasing Paul and Barnabas out of town. That's where we pick up the account in Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 1 this morning, where we read these words. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now here we are, and stop me if you've heard this before that Paul and Barnabas are now going to the synagogue in Iconium, and they are proclaiming the hope of Jesus. And Jewish people are responding, and they're giving their lives to God. And Gentiles are responding, and they're giving their lives to God. Stop me if you've heard this before. This is, this is exactly what Paul and Barnabas have been doing that has caused them trouble in the past. And yet they come to the conclusion that we're not going to stop proclaiming the hope of Jesus. We're not going to stop doing what we know is right. There may be consequences. There may be trouble. There may be hardship. But we are committed. We will do what's right. We will not quit. And they continue to do what is right, even though it has adversely affected them previously. They didn't run and hide. They didn't stop. They didn't quit. They knew in their hearts. They knew in their soul. This is what we must do. This is what God has called us to do. And so they went forward with it. And they did it. And notice their ability here to connect with Jews and with Greeks. To connect with two very distinct ideologies. Two different races. The message of Jesus should appeal to everyone. The hope of Jesus is available to all, and the message of Jesus should appeal to everyone. And Paul and Barnabas make sure that they do. They don't discredit people because of their race. They don't discredit people because of their ideology. They proclaim the hope of Jesus to all. But the unbelieving Jews, verse 2 tells us, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And here again, God pulls back the curtain for us supernaturally in in Luke's account, and he lets us see that there is a battle that's going on here. And there's a spiritual battle, a battle that is being waged in the spiritual realm, and the unbelieving Jews, those who rejected the message of Jesus, they go and they stir up trouble. They stir up trouble, and they start to dispute everything that Paul and Barnabas have been sharing. And notice how they respond. So they remained for a long time. 
So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Trouble happens. And what is the response of Paul and Barnabas? To stand their ground. To stand their ground and continue to do the work that God had called them to do. If God calls you to do something, you are going to face opposition. You can bank on it. And this should be an encouragement for us. This should be an encouragement for those of us who love and follow God. That when God calls us to do something, we can't expect that everything's going to be simple. We can't expect that everything's going to be easy and everything's just going to work perfectly. I wish it would. That's not the way that God operates. And we see that time and time and time again. And in those times when it's difficult, in those times when there's opposition, in those times where things are harder than we ever thought they were going to be, I hope we have this resolve. I hope that we just say, I'm going to stand my ground and I'm, I'm not going to move. I'm going to continue to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to be faithful and obedient to what God has called me to do. And notice what happens. There are people in the city who follow Jesus as a direct result of this ministry. They follow Jesus. And notice what happens. There are people in the city who don't follow Jesus. And there's this division. There's this spiritual division all around Jesus of whether or not you're going to place your faith and trust in Him. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So here they are in the midst of a city where they know there are people who oppose the work that they are doing, and they stand their ground, and they stay a long time, and they continue to proclaim the hope of Jesus, and people respond to that message of Jesus, and they give their lives to Christ, and people respond to that message of Jesus, but they're adversarial towards it. And all of a sudden, they devise a plan that we are going to treat Paul and Barnabas horribly, and we're going to try to kill them. And what, what do Paul and Barnabas do? They leave. They're like, bye. And this should be equally encouraging for us. That yes, when God calls us to do something, we should recognize that there is going to be hardship and there are going to be hard times and we need to stand our ground. But there's also going to be times where we recognize, I'm out. I'm gone. When they find out that people are going to kill them, they leave. And why this matters so much is because if we're not careful, we can put this pressure on ourselves that God has never put on us. I'll, I'll never forget. I was, when I, I was a student pastor, and somebody, somebody came to me, and they were, 
they were brand new in their faith. And they're like, I want, I want to grow in my faith. What should, what should I do? And I mentioned some resources. They're like, oh, I've, I've already read those. What, what else should I do? And there was a book all about whether or not you'd be willing to become a martyr for Jesus. And I took the book and I handed it to him. And I said, this is a book that'd be great for you to read. And a week later, they came into my office and they put the book on the desk, said, I read chapter one and I'm done with that book. What else do you have for me? <laughs> and in my mind, I thought, oh, what a, what a baby, immature Christian. Now I look back and I'm like, what an idiot recommendation, Brian. That was really stupid. But if we're not careful, we can put this pressure on ourselves to live out some calling that God, doesn't, that God hasn't put on our lives. And we put this pressure on ourselves like, maybe I'm not doing enough. Maybe I'm not a good enough Christian if I don't do this or I don't do that. And sometimes God does call people into circumstances and situations where ultimately they will give their lives for the gospel and the spread of the gospel. And we should celebrate and commend those people for the sacrifice that they make. And sometimes... We will be in situations and circumstances where it's just stupid for us to stay. And that doesn't mean that we're a bad Christian. Paul and Barnabas, who no one, no one at this point could claim, oh, well, they weren't serious about their faith. They find out that people want to kill them. And they leave. And they go somewhere else. And they continue to do what God has called them to do. They continue to proclaim the hope of Jesus. Sometimes leaving a bad situation doesn't make you a coward and it doesn't make you a bad Christian, it makes you wise. And here they are, their location changes, but their mission does not. And they continue to do what God has called them to do. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. And now we're introduced to a paralyzed individual, a paralyzed man. And he listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now there's so much to unpack here that we just, we can't. But this is just absolutely miraculous. Absolutely miraculous. That we are now in a different city and, and Paul encounters this paralyzed man. He hears Paul proclaiming the hope of the gospel. Paul looks out and somehow looks at him and can see that he has the faith to be made well. How that works, I have no idea. But we just know somehow supernaturally it does. And then God supernaturally performs the miraculous through Paul. And all of a sudden the man is healed. And he springs up to his feet and he begins to walk. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, 
and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. Now the crowd, they see this miraculous occurrence. They see that a miracle has just happened. And what do they try to do? They try to direct the praise, not to the God who performed the miracle, but to the instrument that God used. And they try to direct their praise to Paul. So much so that they try to worship him. And here we see amongst a crowd that has no relationship with God that there is this hunger within them. There is this hunger within them for God to dwell amongst them. Now they're misguided, but there's that desire. And there's that hunger within them. People that that have no relationship with God, there's still that hunger and desire for God to dwell with them. And so much, so much desire within each and every individual is there to have a relationship with God. And the reason that it's there is because God created us. And the reason we were created was to have communion with him. And so it is buried to different degrees in different people, but universally there is a desire for something grander and for something greater. And we see it here on display. that They see the supernatural occur, and rather than worship the God who did the supernatural, they begin to worship God's instrument because within them, people who are far from God, there is still a desire within them and a hunger for God to dwell with them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, Why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Paul and Barnabas, they try to redirect the praise. And they recognize that this is a platform. Not for them just to receive and soak in the adulation, but this is a platform for them to redirect the praise, to redirect people, and to point out that God is the one who is worthy of praise. God is the one who who should be worshipped. And notice the response of the people as they still desire to worship them instead. And this is universally true as well. Within people is a longing to connect with the God who created them, but because of spiritual blindness, because of other factors that people don't understand, they frequently settle for something so much less. Whether it's a celebrity, whether it's a politician, 
whether it's an accomplishment or an achievement, whether it's a sporting team, there's that desire and that longing. And frequently what people find to fill that void is at best a cheap imitation. And yet it never satisfies. And worse yet, are how many people, rather than Paul and Barnabas do, to try to redirect that praise who just soak in the adulation. Just accept it and wear it. As people that love and follow Jesus, we must be careful about what we are willing to worship. Because all worship ultimately belongs only to God. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So there are people who are trying to worship Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas say, no, you should not worship us. Don't worship us. And yet the Jews who wanted to take out Paul and Barnabas saw this was their opening, and so they went and they stirred up dissension. They said, look, we knew it all along. These guys are claiming to be God. And they got people in such an uproar over false allegations. That they tried to kill him. Their minds manipulated. They thought they killed Paul. And here you are. Somebody following what God has called you to do. You leave another place because it's dangerous. And you know. You know what you're still doing is dangerous. And you are hit with rocks so badly that people look at you and think you're dead? When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. You notice this in the midst of, of Paul being stoned? People think he's dead. What happens? The disciples, they don't scatter. They gather. This is the call for us as people that love and follow Jesus. What we must be as a community. That we are here when people celebrate and we are right next to them. And when the worst of the worst comes, that we are right here next to them. And the only way you find that is when you live in community. And there is nothing greater that can bond us together than our like faith in Jesus. Notice what happens. 
they gathered together. Paul gets up and he goes into the city and he continues to work as God directed him. I don't know the conversation. I would love to see it. Maybe in heaven they'll have a highlight reel. I don't know. But I would, I would just love to see the conversation as Paul gets up. If people think you're dead from getting hit with rocks, I guarantee there's a little bit of a headache. Probably a concussion. Disciples are all around him at first thinking he's dead, but they find out he's alive. And he gets up and he starts to stagger. And all of a sudden he starts to walk back into the city. Disciple doctors are rushing out being like, he is not cleared to go back to that city. You want to go the other way. Paul goes back into the city. And I don't know the conversations that were had, but I can tell you from what I've experienced in my life that when it's a difficult season, you can't even accurately convey how vitally important it is to have those people around you. To know as he gets up, bloodied and bruised, confused, hurt, he's not on that road alone. That as he takes a step towards the city, there around him are people that also love Jesus and love him. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium, to Antioch, Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. <laughs> Let me read this again. When they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Let's go back to verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. And where'd this happen? Lystra. Are you kidding me? They, they stone the guy to the point people think he's dead. He gets up, and where does he go? To Lystra, and to Iconium, and to Antioch. And I recognize, as people that love and follow Jesus, we shouldn't give people the finger, but Paul is giving them the spiritual finger here. I mean, he's just showing up and like, oh yeah? Now what? Because God is greater. And God's work cannot be stopped. He 
goes back to the very places from which the people that tried to kill him came from. And then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Persia, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. God does some incredibly powerful things through them. God does really cool, really incredible, impactful things through their ministry. And they're not done and they continue to do the work that God has called them to do. And they gather the church together. And they tell people, this is my journey. This is what God has done through me. This is how we've seen God work. This is how the gospel is spread. This is how people are following Jesus. And they remained no little time with the disciples. They were there with each other. Together. Thursday night, I couldn't sleep. I tossed and I turned. As all the memories came flooding back in my mind. But at some hour in Friday morning, Drifted off to sleep. And what I remembered, as I did, was God's goodness. And I remembered his people that came around us, that prayed for us. That brought us meals. That watched the boys when we had to go to appointments. People that served us in ways that are too numerous for me to recollect. See, what I remembered was that in the midst of things we would never wish upon anyone, God was good. And he was faithful. And one of the expressions of that was his people. But we didn't walk through that alone. And that they were with us every step of the journey. And I don't know where you find yourself right now. 
I don't know what challenges you face. I don't know what horrible things you've encountered or you're about to encounter. What I can promise you is this. That God is still at work. In your circumstances. And in your story. And what I also know. Is you need others. You need people to come alongside of you. To encourage you. And to support you. Throughout this book, what we have seen over and over and over again is God does the incredible. God does the supernatural. And God calls his people to some really difficult circumstances and some really hard things. And why God operates and why God works this way, I do not know. But he does. And what we've seen throughout this book is that God puts different callings on different people's lives. God calls people to go to different places and do different things. But you're going to be hard-pressed to show me how that happens outside of community. This is why what we do, it, it matters so much. Because we need each other. And I recognize we live in a time right now where we, we celebrate the individual. We cel- I mean, we celebrate people that are like, yeah, my life's a mess. Fantastic. How else can you explain Taylor Swift and Zach Bryan? Like, those are the only ways. Like, go to therapy. Find Jesus and talk to somebody. Please, both of you. But we celebrate it. Here's what the reality is. That real, authentic community, it matters so much because it's designed by God. And I hope when you find yourself in the worst that this world has to offer, that standing around you are a group of disciples. When it seems like everything is done and the story is over and all hope is lost, that you have a group that gathers around you. Because then you know you're not alone. And then we have functioned as we should. That every person would know that they matter to God. And they are loved by him first and foremost. And every person that walks in these doors would know that they are loved by us. And that they are not alone.
God, I pray that in the midst of hurt, in the midst of the horrors of this world, we would find our hope ultimately in you. And we would be reminded of our need for you first and foremost, but also for each other. God, I pray for the people right now who find themselves in the midst of hardship and hurt. And I pray that you would meet them there. And I pray that they would not feel like they have to walk through that journey alone. I pray, God, that we would succeed in our mission and our vision. That every person that walks in these doors would know that they are loved by you first and foremost. That they are loved by us. That there is a team. There's support. That there's encouragement. God, help us function that way. Help us be the church to one another. Supporting each other. Encouraging each other. Carrying one another's burdens. And it all starts with love. God, work in us and through us. And help us accomplish this goal. you would be honored and glorified as a result and your people would be encouraged and strengthened. Work through us, Jesus.